in thinking about how I would typically use this report, I would see it as a snapshot from where we are now and where people hope to be down the road. But in reading your blog post and now listening to your answer, it also strikes me that this could be considered a roadmap. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds, the only podcast that takes a deep dive into the weeds on a compliance or compliance-related topic each week. This week, Matt and I take a deep dive into the ACFE 2024 Benchmarking Technology Report and mine it for not only lessons for the fraud risk management practitioner, but also for the compliance practitioner. It's a fascinating look at where compliance and fraud prevention professionals are and where they will be going in their use of AI and LLMs. First, we're going to have a word from our sponsor, Ethico. Navigating the complexities of compliance data security and accessibility is a daunting task. Ethico makes it effortless with real-time permissions control. This feature ensures that sensitive information is both secure and accessible while balancing confidentiality with efficiency. It's about creating a fortress around your data while keeping the gates flexible for those who need access. Discover a solution where security meets agility. Step into a world of controlled freedom with Ethico. Learn about reshaping your data security at ethico.com cpn. Book a demo, download our white paper by Tom Fox, The ROI of Compliance, and try our free ROI calculator to start a new chapter in ethics and compliance management. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, you recently wrote a blog post entitled Questions on Data Analytics and Fraud, which was based on the ACFE 2024 Anti-Fraud Technology Benchmarking Report. Um, What uh, in this report got your attention and what led to the blog post? Tom, it's always a good report to read. Uh, ACE being the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And they published this uh, annual at Anti-Fraud Technology based on a poll of their membership. It's a very large group. I think that this year there were 12-odd respondents worldwide who are anti-fractionals, but nonetheless they grapple with the same sort of problems that uh, compliance and internal audit teams do. So they're very much close cousins of the sort of challenges that compliance deal with. And what they're talking about with anti-tech, I think, says a lot about the challenges for compliance and audit people as well. Um, The two big things that jumped out at me this time around were, number one, uh, some interesting findings of how anti-fraud people think They will put AI to good use in anti-fraud analytics in the future. And then also some statistics about how they are using anti-fraud technology today, right now, and what data they're looking at, what are the risks that they are looking at, how are they actually using the technology. And if you look at it at all, all together, piece together some interesting, I'll call them pain points that compliance officers might want to think about in your own use of data analytics to find corruption or other sorts of problems. And uh, it raises some interesting ideas about where all of this might go and how it will all fit together, say, over the next five years or so, as we keep using AI more and more to address these kind of problems. 
Matt, I know you saw some interesting numbers in anti-fraud across the enterprise. What uh, caught your eyes there? Well, first thing that jumped out to me was just how much anti-fraud people expect to use generative AI in the future. And that of all the respondents said that um, they already use data analytics today. And 83 said they expect to use generative AI as part of that next two to five years. I always am curious about how true those prints are. So if we come back, Tom, in 2028 or so, will 83% of them now be saying, yes, we have embraced generative AI, have they not? But at the moment, at least, everybody's eager to try to use. Um, on the other hand, also some statistics about, about uh, what sort of fraud risks companies are actually looking at analytics. And for example, corruption specifically, scores rather low. Uh, it placed somewhat near the bottom of, I think, their top 10 risks, where only 25% or so said that they are using X to root out corruption and anti-bribery. Now, that goo, I think it was percent at the top looking for fraudulent payments. <clears throat> Another four we're talking about procurement fraud. On the other hand, I'll also said, for example, that they're using analytics to catch travel and entertainment. Travel and fraud is a time-honored way to sneak in. Maybe they are using anti-fraud to catch compliance-related FCP violations. Maybe they are doing it more widely, um, but at the moment, it does seem like there's a steady stream of Respectable, but still small of people using anti-fraud data analytic out corruption payments. Um, I'll stop right and talk a little bit about how this tech is actually working. But like I said, it raises some interesting, th you know, where are these risks analyzed? Um, which ones are raising, rising up to the top or not? Well, Matt, I guess the briber and corruption number of 25% doesn't surprise me as much because the uh, ACFE report to the nations, which is uh, the, their comprehensive report about fraud, uh, generally has, I think over the past five years or at least the last five reports, corruptions come in around 20% of the total fraud reported. So that that part really doesn't surprise me. Uh, corruption is where actors within a company have to create a pot of money uh, to pay a bribe. They don't keep the money for themselves. They pay it to a third party as opposed to, as opposed to a fraudster who might uh, create a pot of money, then steal it from the company. And uh, many of the uh, tabs or indices of a fraud investigations or fraud areas uh, are related to creating that pot of money to pay a bribe, fraudulent disbursements, procurement fraud, fraud by customers. You mentioned T&E, um, money laundering, fraud committed by vendors or contractors. It would not probably include reporting financial fraud. So uh, I think that the bribery or corruption and bribery folks are getting their information. Uh, they just may not have a fraud focus on that. But the before we go a little bit further, I was there were some other numbers you reported in your uh, blog post uh, 
that I thought upon closer inspection warranted a little discussion. Uh, 57% of respondents said their organizations did not use a case management software system. 71% said they did not use digital forensics or e-discovery software. And 67% said they did not use online evidence capturing software. And those strike me as uh, certainly the case management, I think, is is necessary just to keep everything order, organized. Or as our friend Jonathan Armstrong would say, spreadsheets are evil. if That's where you're keeping them. But also the uh, digital forensics and online uh, evidence capturing software seems to me to be a little bit concerning as well. Any thoughts on uh, those numbers? I think all very good points to raise. And I'd I think we might be able to attribute some of that, that to the nature of who was responding, because uh, a fair bit of the not a majority by any means, but a significant plurality—not uh, even a plurality, but a significant number of them—hailed from fairly small companies of a thousand employees, and those smaller ones might be less sophisticated in their T or case management or e-discovery um, and tools like that. But you think that if you are a larger company and you don't have case management tools, uh, electronic election, um, other sorts of more sophisticated ways to manage your fraud investigations at scale, have those tools, that's not good. That means you are managing your anti-fraud investigations manually. Um, there can be a lot of disparity in handling the case. Cases, never mind that, that you're going to fall, I think, woefully behind. You're just going to have too many allegations and not getting to because you're doing things piecemeal. Certainly, if you have a company of 1,000 employees or above and you, you don't have the case management tool, you don't have the e-discovery, the electronic evidence collection, I would question you know, a lot there. Like, what are you folks? Because that just leaves too much subjective judgment and too much subjling of the cases, that's not going to look good in an audit. That's not going to look good in a regulatory investigation. It's not going to look good to business partners who might be wanting to um, deal with you, or maybe you're the merger target as opposed to the acquirer. Like all of that has to be out. And, and I do hope that for larger companies, the numbers would look much smaller. But you're right, Tom, the, the numbers. Matt, I'd like to turn now to the data that people are looking at. You had uh, a chart, which I thought was interesting. You want to go through the data that fraud examiners uh, or fraud anti-fraud professionals are looking at and what it might portend for the future? Well, so uh, some of this seems not surprising, and some of it would also be alarming. Here's the not surprising, is that the most common sort of data that anti-teams were analyzing were inter internal structured data as internally generated data by the company that is in some neat form in a software application. It could be a spreadsheet, nifty titles in format like that. There's a structure to it that is nice and easy to digest. So one would expect that a large number like 77, which was a, that's the, the data that they're studying. On the other hand, um, many fewer 
companies are looking at internal unstructured data or social media party data. Um, that's those numbers were closer to 33, 30. So yet that's where the good stuff is. And Tom, how often have we talked about an CPA enforcement action where, you know, there isn't ever structured data on a spreadsheet that says this is the bribe payment. It's always something in an email from one of the sales to a landlady. And uh, uh, of course, chocolates are the bribes and the landlady is the government official. Now you're going to have to how. What about that might not even exist within your company, but think of these gossipy websites like Tom, or there's another one lined out there, where, which basically are online chat rooms for employee company to come together anonymously and complain about the company. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And if you are clever enough, you can get into these just posing as another employee looking to fetch about your company. The compliance officer reading that data. How do you get in? How do you capture that data? How do you analyze? A thorough fraud analytic program would combine the unstructured data, the internal data, the external data. We are top on the structured data. But that we are underweight on the unstructured data data and the external data. You're going to have to collect all. Matt, in thinking about how I would typically use this report, I would see it as a snapshot from where we are now and where people hope to be down the road. But in reading your blog post and now listening to your answer, it also strikes me that this could be considered a roadmap. And particularly about this data and figure two, uh, the chart in your blog post that compliance uh, compliance professionals and certainly fraud uh, and a fraud professionals as well could look to well how can I access some of these others I have the internal structured data that I can look at through whatever tool I might be using but this might be a guidepost uh, for things they could look at down the road and if we go back to even the the case management software or e discovery or online evidence capturing tools could provide tools for them to do so would that a fair assessment or a way to look at this? Oh, I think that's an excellent edit. And in fact, if you are here, yikes, how am I going to use that unstructured data? There are any number of software vendors out there who specialize in this, who will be more than happy to have a sales rep get on the phone with you and wonders of their software, some of which might even um, be because there is a technology ability out there to capture all of this. It's more a question of, do you understand what your fraud risk truly are? That, that you should invest in this, and the ROI would be there to um, purchase or acquire this expanded fraud data capability. And you can roadmap that out, um, and then you can go back to your board or your general probably and talk where our risks are. Here is where our analytability is. Notice it is much before we want to invest in these sorts of tech capabilities to bring the analytics up to par and up to pace with the risk. Um, I think that's all an excellent way 
Uh, although, Tom, one other big point in the ACFE report is more about how the humans are using the tech, not just what the tech capabilities are. And I do think we should spend some time talking about that, too. Well, that was really the next point I wanted to to raise with you. Uh, one of the themes that we have explored over this podcast is compliance professionals say something along the lines of, okay, I have the data, what does it mean? Well, if we can maybe say they've gotten to that step because they figured out what their risk is, their risk parameters, whether that's uh, anomalies, red flags, below A and above Z, whatever you might set it. Now I've got the data. Uh, it's shown me that there's something. What do I do next? Do I triage and investigate? Do I have the resources to do that? What did the report tell you about those questions? Well, I would even back up a step further and think about, okay, we've talked for 15 minutes how the how much analytics capability you need. The report talked about what is the process of analyzing the data for you. And the most common form of fraud analytics, look at exception anomaly detections, cited percent of the audience. Now, that's interesting. You're running these automated processes, they test numbers of transactions, and they really only flag up the weird ones, the anomalies and the things that are out of parameter, and then they send them off to the human for review. Think about what really is. It's not the tech. The tech is the thing that feeds into the control is the human who is reviewing the data, the judgment review control. A man, broad person, is looking at the data, see what he's looking at. Now, the question here, analytics gets better and better. Is it going to flag up enough or to flag up too many anomalies for the human to detect? And I think in a lot of instances, the answer there is, uh, yeah, it, it's absolutely going to overwhelm a lot of, of uh, companies. And we see this all the time, specifically with anti-money laundering. We have these really great rules that detect thousands and thousands of suspicious transactions. And then it goes to a human review department of like two people, maybe three or three people was fine when you had actions to review, but the company is up and suddenly there's thousands and you've gone from two or three people to maybe four when it should be 15 uh, on that because it gets back to what we discussed at the beginning with artificial intelligence. As the tool kicks up uh, more exceptions and anomalies for you to review and the human may be overwhelmed AI is going to be the thing. Now, if we thought all of that through so that this analytical, artificial intent, refining the raw material and the human, the human staffers who are there, all in alignment and resource so that this works well and it works well at scale. That's the question. That is the thing that anti-fraud, internal audit, and compliance teams need to work out very well. Um, I think that a lot of financial services firms struggle with this with AML. You know better than me how many companies struggle with this more broadly over FCPA, which 
I'm going to get probably less common, but maybe more complex to look at and decipher. Um, but, you know, that's what we have to think through. Uh, there's a question of manpower. There's a question of the capabilities. And when they don't align, you're either going to hire more now. We're going to hire some artificial brain to bridge that gap. That's what the fee report is really talking about at a big scale. And that is the interesting question. Well, man, I think the numbers of the bribery and corruption at 25% or what I cited from the report to the nations of bribery at generally at 20% of overall fraud would speak to the, the raw numbers of fraud versus uh, bribery and corruption issues that arise. But you're absolutely spot on in terms of the complexity, I think is greater generally under an FCPA matter or a corruption matter than simply uh, a fraud matter. But the, um, you know, we, we have seen financial institutions and financial service organizations be sanctioned in enforcement actions for not having enough persons to actually do the investigation or even oversee the suspicious activity reports that come in. Uh, I guess I'd, I have less fear of that in the FCPA or in a corruption world because if a uh, compliance officer or compliance professional rather saw that type of information, uh, I think they would respond more quickly because the risk and intended penalty could be uh, much greater. But I think you're absolutely spot on that some type of generative AI or a large machine learning, um, large learning model, I think is the right term, uh, or machine learning will be employed in greater use. But I still think that at the end of the day, it's going to come down to an experienced fraud risk management professional or uh, anti-corruption co compliance professional. Uh, no machine's going to say this is fraud. They're going to say this may have the indicia of fraud or it may be inside or out, outside our parameters. That, that is exactly true. I think you're right that it's a struggle with AML. It's probably less of a struggle with FCP. It potentially is even more of a struggle with privacy violations. And our friends down the hall at the cybersecurity team, they worry about this with cybersecurity incidents night and day. Um, but all of it, Tom, to you, that at the end of the day, it comes down to I would even draw a distinction that it always comes down to human judgment. But human judgment spread too thin, given all of the risks that keep emerging in the modern corporation. Probably the human judgment is spread too thin. So your choices are either to hire more humans, which cost a fortune, or bring up with artificial intelligence. A lot of people are trying to do uh, financial services firms, are probably at the bleeding edge of this, where they are using advanced AI to detect anomalous events, AML, suspicious actions, detect them more efficiently. Even if you wind up with suspicious, they are more likely to be anomalous. The big threat with suspicious activity reports is that you're wasting your time on false positive that the tech didn't figure out. So get false positive down where there are going to be fuels to investigate that are more likely to be true and more complicated. That's the goal. Now we have to replicate that also for procurement fraud, privacy violations, cybersecurity attacks, and on for the rest of the day. And it's all about 
gross analytical AI and then the human judgment at the end. And we need to get lined up and working. And like I said, that I think is going to be the challenge from here to 2030-ish as we try and figure it out. Matt, that seems like a good place for us to end this episode. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast, our sponsor for the Compliance Podcast Network this month is Ethico. Have you ever struggled with the ROI of your compliance program? Have you struggled with how to present your compliance program budget request to your chief financial officer? Well, I paired with Ethico to help you in both of those. Ethico has created an ROI compliance calculator, and I've written a white paper on the ROI of compliance. You can get those by going to the website listed on the show notes. I hope you will check it out. I hope you will use it, and I hope you will let us know whether it helped you or not. I'd like to tell you about the newest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, the Compliance Tip of the Day. In this, I give a quick five-minute tip of the day that you can use for your compliance program going forward. Check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.